It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Yeah. Let's hear it for men. Well, let's hear it for men. I'm not happy it's about this. It's the man this. show. No, let's not do that. Come on, baby. It's what? all about you. It, well, Own okay. Own it. Be I, it. I, 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 I get it. It's not about you. Well, but, it, you know, it, it is today. Be. It's usually but, about me. Nah, I'm not going to listen to this. But today we're turning the tables. What do you We're going to talk about men. What? Manly men, alpha men. Isn't this about angry men? Angry men. Am I supposed to find my men. inner angry, angry man inside me? That... I don't know. I think you found that last night. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out. I, I, not at all. Okay, well, maybe not to that extent. But... You're lucky it wasn't. Uh... Okay, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you met my mother. <laughs> well, that, no, it could have been that. <laughs> so really, can I sing? What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was really lovely. That's but, what we're talking about today. So I don't have to be angry? You can be, uh, you know, as long as I've known you, you're not an angry guy. You get, you're passionate. You nah. feel things. Nah. I, that's why I love you. You are um, a fantastic mix of alpha. You are, you are thoroughly masculine. Mm-hmm. You, but you are very much in touch with your uh, feminine side, your sensitive right. side. And that makes you so um, compelling. Oh, well, thank you, honey. I, ap- I appreciate hearing that. And it's nice to know that you can appreciate all those various elements of me. I <laughs> I do. You're you're really um, come on. You're, how do you, an, you're how aspirational. Do you, how do you really feel? You're a loudmouth. Yes, you are. Uh, I want to you know throttle you sometimes, <sighs> but in terms of being what I consider. An, an exemplary sort of model man, you, I would hold you up as that. You, you do, and I, and today's your father's birthday, so yes, I want to, I want to honor Eddie, who's, oh, who sweet. is ninety-eight today. Yes. And I often wonder, where did you get your, your presence, your poise, your, your drive, your everything, um, your manners, your, you're such a gentleman. Uh, you're understated. Okay, this is the Robbie Sharp show. I'm sorry, this. sorry, but I'm gonna just gloat a little bit. But it is—it's Eddie's birthday. I want to know if you—and this is—we're gonna get to this. We're gonna get to a lot of things today about men and where they learn it from, and what if they—what kind of father you had? What if you didn't have a great dad? What if you didn't have a dad? Where do you get it from? And where did you get all your wonderful qualities from? My mom. No, I'm kidding. It was really, uh, (laughs) no, it was my father. Good and bad. I, you learn as much from the bad as you do from the good. You take what you uh, think works, you try what doesn't work, and eventually you hone it into whatever is hopefully working for you. And it's still a process. It's a journey. And uh, I appreciate that you appreciate whatever I show you but at the same time i know i have many things i can work on and improve upon and look forward to doing it because i know it makes me better it makes us better and that's the most important thing so uh, i can only tell you that uh, my father was never really uh, angry Uh, he did he was very stern and he was kind of uh, he lectured a lot i remember at dinner and i remember my older sister's boyfriends and uh, future husbands uh, had to sit through it and you know and the ones that volleyed the best with him got on the best with him and you know we are a, a family of tennis players so mm-hmm. he does love to volley yes you're you guys we, are I would say you're jousters too we joust mm-hmm. we, we do do that 
so we had to learn how to joust and uh, take it and give it and you know that was a big part of growing up do you do you think that you're never too old for a mentor I think I am never too old for a mentor that's correct I think like that strong, there's st- different ways to be mentored and there's different needs that people have as they grow old so yes I think mentoring is, is if you a didn't have thing. it I mean for me like I didn't I didn't get a lot of mentoring when I was a kid so I tend to gravitate toward older, stronger, smarter people that can show me and teach me. Um, I did get a lot of great things from my father. Uh, My dad also is, he is 90, turning 92, and a great, a great dad. I mean, did he know everything? No. Does anybody know everything? No. But... He also, interestingly enough, has a very highly evolved, he's a very evolved guy with a very defined um, and developed feminine, a sensitive side. Very, almost maybe too much sometimes. But, but strong, I grew up with a man that cared. I saw him caring almost a little bit too much white knight kind of, you know, which is lovely and it's so, um, it's, What's the word? Valiant, I guess. Uh, A good and kind, caring man, which I believe Mm -hmm. that you are too. But I think there is there is a yin and a yang to everything. There just there has to be there has to be balance. So what if you didn't grow up with whatever kind of father or whatever the things that you needed? That's what I'm saying. Like, is there still time to to? I I don't know the answer to that. Find a guru or some kind of a mentor that can help you I think that even if you're in your 50s plus I think those of us that did not have that probably have to seek it within themselves to see what their needs are at this later stage of their life and and hopefully they are guided by someone whether it's a a partner that says you know you're kind of deficient in this area or something and and maybe they can find that mentoring person that can help them in that area where they didn't have it growing up so you know i I don't know what the answer is uh if you are able to uh find a mentor but i think that they do exist out there and there are people that are available that can kind of guide you in areas that you may be deficient in Mm -hmm. so uh and that's going to be uh our guest today too yeah he is well He's a multi-hyphenate, fantastic person, and also a great voice for men. And we're going to bring him on in a second. But I, Robbie Sharp, I have a question for you. Okay. What are your thoughts on the state of men today? <laughs> when you look at your peers, when you look at your friends at this age, what are your thoughts? What are your observations? Uh, well, we have some wonderful friends, and uh, we have some... You know, you have some wonderful male friends that have become some of my best friends, which I'm so happy about. And I love them like you love them now, and I hope they love me like they love you, so uh, I accept them. We also have friends that I find have uh, are, are kind of spineless. Some men uh, don't really uh, stand up and take a stand and allow themselves they they do allow themselves to be trampled over by whether it's women or people or things uh, events so uh, i think that uh, and i don't know why that is uh, I, I i find that some of these men that we uh, know that may be lacking in the spine department um, you know i don't i i can't i don't know why that is maybe dominant mothers weaker fathers i don't know uh, but uh, we we know we know people like that. Yeah, I I think uh, I'm really interested to talk to. So so we you know we're a little on the older side. Um, well, not really. Well, we are. Would you consider? Okay, we're not millennials. Okay, so so what about your younger nephews? How are they turning out? How when you yeah. see them, talk to them, watch them. Uh, they're all in their 30s for the most part. Yes, but they're 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 learning who they are as we all did at that age. You know, I've got 
one nephew has a you know a, a three-year-old and he's uh, he's incredible he's a great father and doing wonderful and uh, bought his first home and so I couldn't be happier for uh, him and his family and I've got a, a couple of nephews that are out in the world and very artistic and creative and uh, finding their way and making making their mark so there's no roadmap for any anybody to follow there's really nor should there be I think that everybody has to find themselves when that happens it doesn't just you know you don't hit 25 and say I have arrived sometimes it does actually and if it does beautiful I you know here I am at 62 and I remember being 20 and saying you know if I don't make it by 25 I think I had a bet with somebody I won because that person's no longer with us, <laughs> so I, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but um, I remember uh, thinking that way, and you, I've had, you know, I've changed my career probably twelve times since I was twenty years old, and it may change another twelve times before uh, next year. Who knows? So there, there's no roadmap. You have to embrace and enjoy every day, and uh, every hour, and every encounter, and opportunities, and uh, go out there with your eyes wide open and, uh, you know, give as much love as you can because it will come back to you. I think that applies to both men and women <clears throat> very much. And uh, I think that men, I get what you're saying. I know, I, I feel that there are, you know, men uh, to, I, you know, we're, I don't know if it's a different, because generational, that it feels like that our father's, they just were tougher, maybe because they were in World War II, and they, you know, they had to pull their, themselves up by their bootstraps, and uh, and they had nothing when they started out. And they had Everybody nothing. had nothing. Yeah, I mean, nothing, totally self-made, and really, completely. And I think that they're probably they look at this uh, generations that followed as, you know, pansies, and that uh, they were given opportunities that they never had. And did they squander yes. it? What'd they do with it? You know, uh, I, I would, yeah, I, so, I would worry. I'd worry that this generation of men might be a little soft, could be soft. Yeah. You know, because that's where the, how they were raised with social media and play dates and Uber. <laughs> Whereas we, you know, we had to, we were on the streets right. of Beverly Hills, but still <laughs> we were on the streets. We had to, if we wanted to get anywhere, we had to ride our bikes and, you know, have a thick skin and be tough. Yep. And you just, you couldn't afford to be weak, right? You That's couldn't, true. you had to, because you just, I couldn't. I don't know about you, but oh, it's, it, I learned it, those it, skills it, at an early we, age. We, yes. <clears throat> but I think the tough guys, the tough guys don't, uh, they lack the, the emotional infrastructure. You mean tough exterior? Yeah. We're yes. going to find out about this. Okay. Uh, so we are going to go to our first break, and then we're going to come on with our guest, John Kim. So we will be right back. And we are back. It is seriously my pleasure to introduce John Kim, because in all honesty, I'm a little bit of a fangirl. Before I even read his bio, I just have to say, I found John through the blogging world, and I am a follower and uh, I'll go as far as to say as I've hung, I've been known to hang on to every word he says. I think he's fantastic and smart, insightful, and that's not even in his bio. So this, this is John Kim. He is an author and licensed therapist who pioneered the online, coaching, online life coaching movement eight years ago after going through a divorce and rebirth. He started a blog called The Angry Therapist and quickly built a devoted following of fans who loved the frank and authentic insights that he freely shared on social media. That would be me. I'm a fan. Uh, he pulled the curtain back and showed himself by practicing transparency and sharing his story, something therapists are taught not to do. Kim became known as an unconventional therapist who worked out of the box, seeing clients at coffee shops, on hikes, and at the gym. He quickly built a coaching team of his own and launched a sister company called Journey, J-R-N-I, creating a new way to help people help people and change the way we change. John Kim, welcome to Done Being Single. Hey, John. Thank you. I Can really we, I appreciate that. A little pause. Um, Can we get a little pause? Yeah, absolutely. he deserves it. Oh, wow. Okay, that's enough. 
That's enough. Okay. 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 Thank you for the kind words, Trevor. Can I just say, um, just because you take Ubers doesn't mean you're soft, because I live in Los Angeles. No one walks here. <laughs> let's not tie that to that. Okay, but you, you get what I'm saying. Because that means I'm a boy still. Right. Okay, so no one walks and no one rides their bike, their bike anymore. So, no, but you know what? I guess they're, they're scooters. Scooters. Okay, scooters. Okay. <laughs> right. Anyway, John, you've been listening in. Uh, yes. I have to tell you, I quoted you for a blog I wrote called Romance is Dying, Here's How to Save It. Mm-hmm. And I may be probably getting ahead of myself here, but if I don't say this now, I'll forget. Um, you really gave it, you gave it to the guys about how to oh, date. dating. Yes. Yeah. You gave um, it to the, you just went there, man. And I was like, yes, this guy is so speaking for me. He's so singing my tune. You, do you know, do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't, I don't yeah, remember the name of the article. called um, Dating is Dead. And uh, that one, that one really took off. And I, th- I think because it hit a nerve. And I, I think especially with women, um, because in today's sky, uh, swipe culture, I was going to say Skype culture, but that too. <laughs> Um, d- dating is dead. We don't, um, people become, uh, you know, baseball cards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everything from wash your car to before you... <laughs> uh, Putting put the CDs in, my, my uh, CD6 changer. Yeah. Like, do the, come on, guys. Come on, prepare. What was the wash the car thing? Uh, you know, clean your car before you pick someone oh, up. Oh, yeah. I wash my own car. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I mean, you don't was... even you don't even pick people up anymore. You right. meet them. Um, you actually Uber the, over and meet them at the uh, coffee shop, That's and true. it lasts like 15 minutes. And you realize they don't look like their photo, and it's more of like um, an interview. It's not really a date. Hmm. Yeah, I just I this is what worries me the the lack of effort, and I compare it to a muscle that is atrophying. Mm-hmm. And if you know, lose it, use it or lose it. And the guys need to keep stay in shape when it comes to this. Yeah, you know, what I think it is, is, you know, when, when I was growing up, I grew up in the, the 80s, um, you had to muster the courage to ask someone out. And, you know, you, you actually earned the date. So then when the date came, you got really excited and you went and or, you know, I guess I should say I, I would wash my car and lay my clothes out and you know I, I made it like almost a mini event but today because of uh, apps and swiping um th- there's no more effort so it's it's very convenient you know um every, you, everything is delivered today and disposable and people are impatient so that has definitely rippled into um dating and i think that's why dating has just become um a dying thing you know yeah also i think what's really affected the effort making is the cynicism that mm. that why should I try? It's just going to be another dud, or why should I look good, or why should I wash my car, or why should I, you know, put on makeup or whatever? Yeah. When you know, it's chances are it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out, and it's just going to be you know another another whatever. Yeah, and the cynicism comes from bad experiences, and those bad experiences come from it's a cycle. You know, it's a circle that just and those bad experiences come for uh, zero effort. Right, it's a vicious cycle. So yeah. you don't, so you don't try because you think it's gonna, it, it's not going anywhere. So you right. already predispose it to fail. So then, therefore, you don't take the extra steps because why should you? See, this is this is a whole other episode. But anyway, well, so I want to ask John. You know, why angry therapist? What does that mean? Um, I I used to be angry, uh, just because I'm Korean. Uh, no, I used to be angry because I was unhappy, um, and I, I used to be miserable. And when I went through a divorce and um, started a blog, I, I I thought it was kind of funny that a therapist is angry. And then I realized later that it's actually my way of saying that I'm human. So, um, yeah, and also that the happy therapist isn't that interesting. <laughs> I think you're right. It's not compelling. Yeah, so nobody wants um, a happy therapist. My whole, my whole thing was like, you know, if you're a therapist, uh, humanize yourself. And I think I, uh, I mean, I didn't know that I was doing that at the time. I was just in a dark place, and I started to to blog and talk about my feelings. Um, then I realized that that this therapists aren't supposed to do this. And I was doing something by by pulling the curtain back and showing myself. I was doing something that was kind of, I don't know if the word's taboo or you know, because in therapy school you learn to be very neutral and not really show yourself. And so I went the other way. And that's how it all started. Hmm. Well, you, you can't be a good therapist in, unless you've lived it. 
you know, that's how I feel. Yeah, um, I mean, or else you're just, um, you know, you're just a walking textbook. I, I, that's what I was going to say because I, I think most therapists haven't lived what they what they witness in their patients. You know, that or, would be... or they have because, uh, let's face it, some therapists are fucking nuts. <laughs> or they have, but they haven't uh, well, looked inward. Or, or their offspring, themselves. their offspring is fucking nuts too. We know that. I right? am that well, too. Hello, okay, but. Uh, the thing about being angry, uh, I think you're tapping into something because I think that men do have a part of them that is kind of anger. There's yeah. anger based and it comes sure. out probably at the most inopportune times. But I think that you're trying to show that there, uh, there's a value in that though. Uh, yes, I think angry can be healthy. I think angry, as long as it's expressed in a in a healthy way, it, it just means that you're human. It's it, you know I think it's dangerous when we suppress our feelings, especially anger. Uh, and then you you know and then there's road rage and other stuff because it eventually comes out, right? Right. Okay, so let's talk about being miserable. I mean, let's talk about being a miserable fuck. Yes. You can be one at any <laughs> age. You you were probably on the early side of miserable fuckness correct yes uh late 20s early 30s that is very early to be a miserable fuck i'm glad i got that shit out of the way i don't i don't want to be miserable now i'm 46 so i'm, I'm glad i, I uh, punched that ticket early well that's good see that's we're sort of on the late blooming side of actually we did get our miserable fuckness out of our out of the way too right lovey uh some of it well, see, now this is another, it's an, just another, as you get there's older, always some, there's always something there's to be some miserable, more miserable about. There's some more miserable fuck to scrape off somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if anyone gets it fully out, right? I mean, it, we go through um, our winters and our miserableness. Are you saying that miserable fuckness hibernates? And then, no, yes, but I, I think that we could get a lot of it out. I don't think it should determine our state in our life. But of course, we're human and there's going to be uh, times that we are unhappy. You know, happy. I, I hate that the world portrays happy as like um, a constant. and It's not, you know, it's become a bumper sticker. It's true. It's not constant. So um, question for you, John, about. First of all, the, your clientele, mostly, I'm assuming mostly men. I know you've got a big female fan base, though. Um, it's actually mostly women. Hmm. And uh, that's that's kind of why I wrote this book uh, for men, uh, just to, you know, create a dialogue for men. Uh, and I think it's mostly women because I talk about relationships and love and, and all of that stuff. Okay, so, okay, I get it, because women love you know what? We've had a bunch of uh, male dating coaches on, right, mm. and and most of their clients are female. And I think that um, men give female clients a different perspective and a That's different, sure. if way different view into the male psyche, which is really helpful. Yeah, and I think also with social media, a lot of coaches, therapists now can. Um, uh, as they document and create content and write blogs, they kind of can create uh, an image or uh, uh, I don't know how to, how to explain this, but they could create this idea of a man, right? And so um, their clients come thirsty for that idea and, 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 and the conversations that they're willing to have. Yes. So they look to you to crack the code or to get the keys or to somehow get the, the magic, the secret sauce, to yes. right to figuring out men. So, what is the what's well, you tell me us tell us the state what you think the state of men is today? Oh, I, um, I think the if to, to narrow it down to one word, I think confusion. Um, I think a lot of men are confused. I, I think a lot of boys are growing up um, not knowing what a man looks like. So, uh, and then also many of them not willing to go on their their man journey or their hero's journey. So they kind of stay stagnant in that state and i think part of that is because we live in a, a fatherless nation so dad's not home either physically or emotionally that is interesting and i think that yeah. confusion also probably stems from roles that are, are evolving between men and women oh yeah yeah and all you know and, and, for, and also politically and just everything that, that's happening in the world um it's just very different than say in the 50s where things were more black and white and i'm not saying that that it's better or worse i'm just saying uh people had uh more firmer definitions of what a man looks like and today it's just uh the wild wild west 
I, yeah, yeah, I get that. I'm trying to, I'm <laughs> just trying to visualize. Well, yes, because <laughs> he said conf- they're confused. Yes, to make, that makes sense. And I'm trying to visualize what does that look like? What does confusion look like for a man today? Is it that he doesn't? He's afraid to be assertive. Is he? Is it me? Me too. That is making men feel inhibited, intimidated. Um, is it the rise of powerful women? I, I think all, all of the above, you know, and also uh, because of social media, um, now there's so much. Um, how do I? You know, like the celebrity is dying, and now your neighbor is becoming famous, right? So. Um, there's a lot of men and a lot of different men uh, and a lot of diverse, you know, like there's such a spectrum. So it, it's different than, say, in the, you know, in the 50s or, or, or uh, even in the 80s where there were um, just a handful full of men. You're, you know, you're either uh, looking at athletes or you're looking at, you know, action stars or you're looking at whatever. But today um, – and I think this is a good thing that it's like the whole box of crayons. You know, you could choose to follow or subscribe to any definition of man um, that you want to. And so I think that also con- contributes to the, the the confusion. You know, who, who who's going to be my mentor? Who what kind of man do I want to be? So maybe we start pulling from elements of this person and other people that we see and that we, uh, you know, uh, want to be like or that that inspire us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a good topic to start our next segment with. So we are going to take a break right now, and we'll be right back with John Kim. So John, picking up where we just left off, you said that there's uh, elements of certain mentors or men that uh, if if you could pick somebody, uh, do you ever ask the question in your male clients, what do you like about this person? What do you like about this? Is, is this something you would like to have uh, be part of yourself? Um, I actually try to, I encourage them to look inward. So w- when we talk about definitions of men um, and what that looks like, I, I always start with the self and what that looks for, like for the person. And then, of course, from there, you, you could start, you know, um, asking questions about external factors, people that inspire them. But I always start also uh, at home, too. You know, what, growing up, who who was around and how did they impact you? So you know, if, if there weren't many men or if there was a lot of men, but they were rotating and they were abusive or toxic, that's also going to impact their definitions as they grow up. And of course, all their relationships. So you probably witnessed certain men that have had maybe stronger mothers than fathers and or stronger fathers and mothers. How does the, those differences show themselves in men that are maturing? Yeah, so um, I worked in nonprofit for about five years treating teenagers for addiction and that was the common thread, and it was the um, that's what sparked the fire in my belly to write this book. No one had dads, so if dad was home, he was emotionally absent, and or the dad was not home at all. He was working, or he was just not home, uh, or or there were you know, a lot of single moms with no dads, and so the girls were standing too close, right? And the boys either wanted to be me or fight me, and it was a, a direct there was a direct correlation between kids growing up and and then not having like a, a positive male role model and then me being an older man coming into their lives and trying to help them so so you know hopefully being a positive role model uh, I, I saw the correlation in, in that they were very thirsty for that right so it either brought resistance or or I became a blanket you know mm-hmm. I will say that uh, you know, every no one's had a perfect childhood. No one, no one. Even when you think it's perfect, it, it's never, it's never yeah. perfect. I don't, no. I don't think any of my friends, and I include myself, had the greatest role models for parents. I mean, again, I give them tons of credit. They did what they could. I don't know. I mean, that's what you, that's what you do with anything. You, you right. just, it's, it's, in this, you know, it's instinctual. I do think, though, like I didn't have great role models. I didn't see a healthy relationship ever my parents divorced when i was six seven my mom never remarried my father remarried way later many 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 years later so i would say that anybody listening to this right now who maybe did not grow up with this with a strong male role model or strong male presence in their life you can turn it around it just takes a lot of work it takes dedication it takes 
total focus and determination to be the man you want to be and that it's never or be the woman you want to be it's just never too late and I'm always very fascinated with with Robbie and especially because we got together so late in life you know and I remember asking him okay what's wrong with you why have you been single for so long come on come on there's got to be something wrong what's in there what is it and he just kept saying no you know just I haven't I hadn't met the person. I hadn't met the one, and so as we've as we're going into in this um, in this marriage, and we're getting to know each other's you know dark sides and shadow figures and and fears and neuroses. And yes, I don't know what I'm saying here, but I think <laughs> I no. I just wanted you are seeing you see everything. I see everything in you. And the stuff we don't like and the stuff we did not get in childhood, it doesn't mean you're shit out of luck. Yeah, and I got to say that um, uh, I agree with you that no child enters adulthood unscarred. Uh, and, and our parents did you know, the best they could with what they had, which is that, that saying. Uh, I do believe it's true. But also you know, self-betterment and this idea of um, wellness in general, that wasn't even a thing then. You know, Our parents, I, I think, mostly uh, were in survival mode. Uh, today, I think uh, with you know, the internet and wellness becoming mainstream, everything from self-betterment to fitness and the way we eat, everything's changing now because it's, it's suddenly cool to be a better person. That is so true. Yeah. That is so true, and I'm, I am on it. I am definitely have a, a, a growth mindset, as much as mm-hmm. it annoys Robbie sometimes. And, and I, I think our journey also <laughs> is never-ending. So when, you, when, when people say, you know, what's the kind of man you want to be like or what's your definition, that definition changes as we change and evolve. Um, I, I don't think it's, a, you know, it's an island that you swim to. I think it's... Um, it's an it's like a living breathing thing, mm-hmm. right? So whether you're a man or a woman doesn't matter. But our our human uh, experience is is it's a constant hero's journey over and over again. John, tell us about your parents. Came here, no money, two kids uh, from Korea, and uh, they ended up in Georgia. And there was a lot of racism in the 70s. And I remember uh, some of my early memories. It wasn't anything that I saw, but I remember feeling very scared, unsafe, unwanted. And so I think we left immediately, drove a a VW uh, to California, and then they just started, you know, my mom was working like at Stop and Goes, which is a Mm 7-Eleven, and then um, saved our money, bought a little, you know, hamburger stand, and then just that whole, you know, immigrant story, and then ended up buying a Pioneer chicken in Long Beach, which turned into a Popeye's chicken. Um, which is hilarious. And so I was on the weekends in high school frying chicken, and... um, and then my dad was running telephone cable, and uh, he started a little telephone company. And it's yeah, called AT&T. So just, uh, and, uh, he's <laughs> yeah, doing very well. Yeah, it's, now it's AT&T. And so we bought an island. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so that was it. Just like, you know, uh, came to America because education's free, and they wanted to, to live the uh, the American dream. And they worked uh, they worked their asses off and had two kids and, and, and all of that. How were they emotionally as parents for you? Never home, always working. I tell people that I grew up uh, raised by pop culture. And, you know, but when I look at them, you know, they they came from a a war-stricken, I mean, a whole different world. Like, my dad grew up making his own shoes. And in Korea, back in the day, when they were kids, was poor, you know. The the Korea that we see now, Seoul, that's that's pretty new. That's not... So lots of poverty and lots of um, survival mode. So when they came to America, especially not knowing the language and, and being foreign, they just needed to feed their kids so this idea of being home and and and, and <laughs> working on yourself and and uh you know <laughs> washing your car to go on good dates like all that stuff that doesn't that's not even in their vocabulary so hmm. very interesting yeah. Yes. yeah we were talking about it earlier about it's just a different generation and and you did what you had to do and yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't minimize. And I understand that I'm wired a certain way. And part of me being miserable and angry, of course, uh, is a byproduct of that kind of upbringing. Um, you know, I didn't get a lot of emotional milk. I didn't get uh, that you you are good and that I, we love you and all that. Uh, they express love by uh, other ways. You know, um, buying me Levi's and, and making mm-hmm. me uh, buying me things so I could fit in, right, with all the other kids, that kind of stuff. And 
and uh, and just worked. So that's it is what it is. But it, I mean, it doesn't. I, I you know I don't think it's about getting mad at our parents. Uh, I think it's about accepting, understanding, uh, and then start working on yourself. You know, or else you're just gonna be in victim mode your whole life. Okay. So say you're a miserable fuck, mm-hmm. and or you're angry. Where does a guy find the tools? How does he self-reflect? How does he look at his own defects? And how how would you advise a guy to take? That's four questions. That's seven questions already. Okay, honey. my questions uh, tend to be questions. compound questions. I'm so yeah, sorry. You got to get to one question. <laughs> okay. I do that too. I'm I so sorry. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead, John. You no, can answer I, answer as long as you want. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think there are so many doors to go into, but I think that. Um, as we grow up, we disconnect with parts of ourselves. And I think at the end of the day, self-betterment is a reunion. So connecting back to you, and that can mean a gazillion things, but um, your truth, you know? I talk about uh, uh, the solid self and the pseudo self, and the solid self is our authentic self, and it's the one that doesn't exchange truth for membership. So we start to pull from our pseudo self, that's our false self, that's the one that's seeking approval and validation, as we get older. So whether we're, and this is because we're chasing and because of commercials and advertising and, you know, fear and all of that, we start pulling from our pseudo self and then we start getting disconnected with ourselves. And then, you know, then we wake up one day and we're miserable like I used to be and, and, uh, have no purpose in life and in a shitty job or whatever. And I think you, you start over by start to listen to that, that part of you that's usually a, a faint whisper that you have been ignoring for so long. And by doing so, you start to connect to yourself, build some self-esteem, have a sense of self, and that ripples into relationships and, and, and everything. And I think it really repositions you in life. Yeah, yes. It also takes a very strong man to admit that he's got problems or oh, issues. Yeah. I think it also, yeah, it starts, it, 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 yeah, without the awareness, uh, without the, like you said, admitting, you you that's the beginning of everything, you know? I'm going to put a positive spin on it. It's not, it doesn't, it takes a strong man to make the decision to want to be better. Yes. Okay. That's Um, what I'm trying to say that, you know, we're all flawed human beings. That's, that's a given, but I do find for men, it's harder that it's not their natural inclination to reach out for help or or admit that they might, that there's possibility that they can be you know, stronger, better, more emotionally stable or whatever. Yeah, I love that you flipped it. And it's that choice of um, deciding to to be better, you know, drawing that line in the sand. Uh, When you're admitting, there's almost it's almost lined with shame. Yeah. Like I was bad or something, you know. But I think that it takes a lot for a man who who was a miserable fuck to actually recognize that he is a miserable fuck. And sometimes that miserable fuck is not going to acknowledge just because the last three relationships have broken up the exact same way because yeah. women don't like his attitude, at what point is this guy going to say, it's not them, it's me that needs to change? Well, unfortunately, most people don't change unless they have to, um, unless they hit rock bottom, unless they lose something. I think that it takes something like a divorce or you know, losing custody of your kids or maybe losing your dream job or whatever, or friends, because who wants to change? Change is hard. You know, we're, 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 we're used to comfort. That's what, that's what feels good to change, to lean into resistance, to look inward, to own your own shit. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's tough, you know? So no one, no one really does it unless they have to. So maybe not no one, but many people, most people. So there's a similarity to actually AA in that you have to want to stop drinking you want to you have yeah. to acknowledge that you have a problem before you can correct it right and most people in addiction uh and i've worked uh in that world for a while they don't get there until they're you know in the gutter or it's life or death you know yeah well we have, you know you don't you hope not to get there i mean some of my greatest epiphanies have been in the worst situations i wouldn't wish upon anybody yeah of course but, but they the, do uh, work Okay. Yeah, it's our, our God moments, right? Mm-hmm. When we're um, mm-hmm. nursing the, to- the toilet one day. And... Yep. We're going to allow our guests to go nurse the toilet right now. <laughs> so uh, we will be right Thank back you. with more John Kim. <laughs> and we are back with John Kim. John and Robbie, since you're both guys, question for you both. Where do you guys feel that men are most insecure? What, what are those areas I'll defer to John first. Oh, wow. I was going to defer to you. I was going to try to buy some time. (laughs) Go ahead. 
What are you going to say in the bedroom? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, um, I, I think, I think it's um, not having a sense of self, you know, um, living a life that is outside in instead of inside out. So, you know, one of the, the, the reasons why I was so miserable is because my whole life was based on the external. So seeking approval, validation, not having any idea who I was uh, or my value, just trying to fit in or to be cool. So chasing, you know, shiny things, all that stuff. So it wasn't until I went through a divorce and then the, the, the rug was pulled out from under me and I had to start all over where I was left with no one but me. So then I started blogging and went on my journey and started to um, uh, build a relationship with me. What was the so, turning point? What was that moment where you thought, I have some wind at my back. I think I'm going to be okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's when you realize, and I think it comes in moments, it's when you realize that you kind of like yourself, that you don't hate yourself, that, um, um, you, that your worth is not tied to um, things that are outside of self, like achievement, you know, corner offices, uh, how much money you make, uh, penis size, whatever. <laughs> um, I think it's when you find comfort in self you know, all of that stuff. And I, and I don't think it's like you wake up one day and it's there. I think it's, it happens, um, in moments. It's like love, you know, when you love someone, you, that's a, that's a choice, but then the love comes in moments when you're like, you know, have those moments where you're like, Oh, th this is, I, I, I love this person. With that said, can I, can I quote you on something? I'd, I'd like to, okay. To yeah. our, to our male listeners, you said that two men, you said what you do doesn't determine your true value. Your true value lives in your character and capacity. Yeah, and that is very hard to swallow because we live in a world where um, our worth is uh, based on what we've done, you know, or or how much money we make or what we look like. So uh, it, it's really it's really hard to swallow that and and live by by those terms. But it's so true. Especially yes, in the town you're, we you're, live in, you're, you're not you're not powerless. Uh, so if you live the other way, um, which is based on you know advertising commercials or whatever you're chasing, then the world has power over you, and your worth is always going to be contingent on things that um, are outside of self. How powerful is allowing yourself to be vulnerable? Oh, I think it starts at soil. I think it starts there. Um, I think vulnerability is the the the, the way into finding your your true self or your sense of self um, if you're not vulnerable then you're you're always going to have that shield and you're always going to um, you you can't show yourself and if you don't show yourself then you're you know living outside in you're being pseudo uh, in order to be solid in order to be authentic you have to be vulnerable I don't think there's any other way to do it I agree I think that vulnerability equals authenticity and people want to see that. I think uh, the opposite sex wants to see that in you uh, yeah. because that is your guard is down at that point and it's the other person. What are they going to do when they are with somebody whose guard is down? Are they going to take advantage of them or are they going to really appreciate the fact that their guard is down and I can now approach you and I'm not going to be judged and I can talk about some sensitive subjects and we might go some places with this person. Yeah, and you know what? I think that that has become the so the topic of vulnerability has become one of the biggest ways into this conversation about masculinity and manhood. Uh, I, I think people like Brene Brown, you know, who has brought uh, science, backing science with uh, vulnerability, has opened like the floodgates, and now the world's talking about the power of vulnerability. So I think that's a good thing. It's scary. It's scary to you know face the hard truths about yourself. Yes, and it's scary to show yourself because you're also uh, setting yourself up for rejection and hurt. Okay, so John, give us some yes. tips for women dealing with men that haven't quite yet arrived. Is there a way for a woman to help steer this person that they're with to be a better man? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's about Mars or Venus. I don't think it's a, a man or woman thing. I think I think it's a human thing. So the more that we start to segregate and point fingers and say you're not a man and whatever, uh, the more that we're taking a, a crowbar to ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's about connecting by, by example. 
So it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman by being vulnerable, by putting yourself out there, by expressing your feelings, you know, by having healthy boundaries, all the things that you want your partner to be or do, uh, you should do first, you know, and if two people were doing that, then that produces uh, glue. It's, it's really a great answer. And uh, I apologize for framing it in that way. But I was going to ask you the same question for men that are with women that they would like to kind of guide and hopefully be a little different or accommodating. And the answer is what you just gave. It's a human thing. It's yeah, it, it kind of applies for both. And it's learned by example. Yeah, I also think that there's something very compelling and almost sexy about vulnerability in a man. As I had opened, you know, talking about Robbie, because he does have a very defined sensitive side, which I love. It draws me to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does not at all, you know, I, I don't lack respect for him. In fact, I respect him even more because he allows himself to open up and to uh, share his fears with me, and and he cries, and you can cry at a commercial. Mm. It's it's really lovely. I think men, though, I think I was um, peeling onions, at the time. or maybe that's it. <laughs> and he cries peeling onions. Yeah, I did that oh, and he cooks. Yeah. Um, and I just think that men f- might feel like they can't let it down. They can't let the guard down right. because it'll you know it'll risk making them look weak or like you know a pussy and that's not true yeah and that's because we're pulling from probably old blueprints and definitions of what we think a a man should look like well okay john you said that men everywhere feel lost or misunderstood they live without purpose or passion and they need to inflate physical or superficial details to make up what's lacking on the inside or they give up altogether can you explain yeah, I don't remember saying that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I like to bring it back to me because one of the things I don't want to do is use things like all men or you know a lot of shoulds in my sentences because I, I think that men shouldn't do that. I think it's not about pointing fingers. It's about uh, accepting and learning from one's own story. So that probably came from, from me. That probably came from my own journey and my own struggles and how I used to be. And yeah. What was the question? I don't know. I just wanted, because I I thought that was a really sort of profound statement, and I don't know where I read it. I read it somewhere. Yeah, it it probably, it came from my own life, but also as a therapist and coach, um, all the stories that I hear, uh, whoever's sitting in front of me, and then, you know, um, trying to find the common thread of what's happening, right? So um, I see a lot of that, what you just said. If I were, and I am a coach, uh, and I do work with male clients, I would want to know where they feel that they are failing. And mm-hmm. and if it becomes a recurring theme, then uh, we would take it from there. And this is not so much, I think I'm just making a statement because I think that when you keep making the same mistakes over and over again, there is a lesson in there. There's something, there's a, a kernel of something that, you know, just look at what's happening. Look at the the reactions, look at the response you're getting, look at the feedback you're getting, and then stop, take a look at what's going on and, you know, examine. Yeah. I, I don't know absolutely. why I'm saying, I'm just saying this because yeah, I'm talking coach to coach here, I guess, right? Yes, um, absolutely. I, I, you know, uh, co- in, in coaching, there's so many different ways to go into something. And I, I, I talk a lot about false beliefs and all this. I'm really into the subconscious and all the stuff that's happening underneath that we're not aware of. And so, you know, that's a whole different way to go into it too. John, how can you turn a sad person into a happy person? Uh, I, I think the simple answer is um, having a sense of meaning in one's life, engagement, and then finally the ability to produce joy. So, uh, one of the reasons why I was a, such a miserable fuck was because I didn't allow myself to be happy until I got the big thing. So, you know, the big house, the fancy cars, all of that. And that never came. So I, I didn't, I just wasn't happy. I think that if you can have the ability to produce joy with what you have, no matter where you're at in your life, and I do believe that's an ability, then you'll always be happy, you know? Um, so I call it seeking nectar. And, and when you do that, you actually open the door, uh, the, the, uh, you open up for, to practice gratitude. So if you're always chasing big things, you're also not grateful. So you're always seeing your glasses as, as have, have empty. 
Okay. Uh, we we actually have I'm sorry, we have a friend that uh, has a difficult time getting over an ex, mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately, this person uh, conversations and topics seem to always revert back to something that happened with the ex. And I I would I want to shake this person and say stop this. How yeah. is there a way to get this person to stop thinking of, of this other person? I think that our uh, old love experiences. Um, are something that we hold on to until we create new love experiences. I think that's kind of what starts to eclipse old ones. It's never like, you know, um, and I know they, they, there's all these like listicles, uh, articles, and, and what you can do and the steps and all that. But I, I think it's different for everyone. But ultimately, I think time, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then giving yourself new love experiences that are different and that's going to change your mindset and your definitions. Following up with that. I know a lot of guys that have, they, on paper, they have it all. They, you know, right. they're good looking, right. they've got a job, they're, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, and yet they can't close. They can't get a relationship going and keep one going. And I never, I just, uh, I don't know how to, what to say. Well, maybe maybe part of their inability to close has uh, more to do with them and their stories and than the other person. I, I believe that to be the case too. You know, yeah. like fear, fear of intimacy, mm-hmm. or fear, fear of being vulnerable, or fear of commitment, or you know, fear of being, uh, fear of abandonment, or you know, all the other stuff, the deeper stuff. Right, all good stuff to explore. Yep. Well, we are going to have to do a part two with John because there's a lot more here to talk mm-hmm. about. But we are out of time for our week and our hour. So, John, this has been great. Tell us how we can find you online. Uh, just go to theangrytherapist.com. Well, there that's you go. easy. Meet me there. All right. Okay. I, te- I, uh, I text people now, so meet me there, and I will send you a text. Well, okay, John well, you're, you're fantastic. Uh, Thank I you so for having en- me. I so enjoyed talking to you. I so enjoy reading you. I, like I said, I'm a big fan, and uh, I think it's you've got such great things to offer people. So, so everybody you, go really check out, it. especially on Medium. That's where I found you, on Medium. Cool. You're awesome. Thank you, John. Yes. We yeah, thank are you for, uh, done, right, being, we're done single, being single. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode. So everybody have a great week, and we'll see you then. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single. <laughs> <laughs>